Friends, our first scripture this morning is from Genesis chapter 1, the first five verses. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, and a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. In these first five verses of the entire Bible, we learn three fantastic things about the character of Almighty God, three spiritual truths that we would do well not to miss. First, God created. From the very start, God has been a creating God. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth are the very first words in all of scripture. And in the midst of striving to focus on what we are called to do in our life of faith, it is sometimes easy to forget that, that important detail about who God is, that God is the author of all of creation. God's handiwork is all that we see, the forests, the mountains, the seas, every creature from the smallest to the largest, you, me, God created us. God created our world. Second, God named the various elements of creation as an expression of God's desire to be in relationship with creation. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. He named them. From the very first moments of creation, God was in relationship with creation. A theology of creation stewardship risks putting the focus solely on people, not on God. It risks forgetting that creation has value because of its relationship to God, not just because of its utility for humanity. Have you ever thought of it that way? The wondrous world we live in and the beauty and resources that it teems with. It has innate value and importance, not simply for what it might provide for you and for me to make our lives more satisfying and comfortable and enjoyable. This home of ours, this planet Earth, has innate value because of its relationship with God, a God who created it from nothing, who called it into being, and who delights in its richness and diversity and beauty. And the third and final spiritual truth from these five verses of the Bible is that God declared it good. There was a formless void and darkness and from nothingness, as the scholars say, ex nihilo, from nothing, not from some raw materials that someone else gave God, or from a stack of lumber or uh, bags of soil that God loaded into God's SUV at some intergalactic Home Depot. 
but from nothing. God created all of it. Talk about magnificent. Talk about a holy mystery beyond our human comprehension. God created light from darkness, the world from nothingness, and all that dwells upon the earth and declared it good. And God is still in the business of creating. God is still in the business of naming and thus being in relationship with the various elements of creation. God is still in the business of declaring God's glorious creation good. And what I wonder is, how might your life be different if you took those three truths to heart? The way you consume the way you share, the way you steward the world that has been entrusted to us. And to be sure, just like those parables in the Gospels where the master goes on a trip and before he goes, he gathers his servants and charges them with being caretakers of his land, his vineyard. One day, there will be an accounting. And Almighty God will ask each one of us during our lives, our brief time, on this precious earth, how wisely and faithfully did we care for it? Did we view it with greed and selfishness and short-sightedness? Did we harm it, weaken it? Or by God's grace, did we leave it better, healthier, more whole than how we found it? Good morning, I'm Dolly Tharp. <clears throat> My scripture uh, passage is Genesis 1, 26 to 31. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. I love that hymn that we just sang, This is My Father's World. I think that it, it helps us remember that this is, in fact, his world that he gave to us. On Christmas Day, 1968, on their way to the moon, the Apollo 8 astronauts were moved to broadcast back to Earth the verses of Genesis, which Dennis read. Fifty years later, Bill Anders remembered 
having his breath taken away and taking photograph after photograph of the small blue and white ball which was the earth, the only touch of color in the vast blackness of space. The astronauts were struck with how little separates this precious earth from the nothingness of space. He said they were convinced that mankind must be dedicated to protecting our fragile little blue marble if we expect to keep living there, living here. I remember seeing those images in Life magazine and thinking back on them recently changed me as it did the astronauts who had that view and who sent back those pictures. I think we have to realize how amazing and how awesome the earth that we live on is, the earth that God created. From Genesis, we learned that God created this beautiful, amazing earth. He saw that what he had created was good, and he gave us dominion over all of his creation. I looked up the definition of dominion. It means sovereignty and control. I've come to see that for too long, we've been only too happy to accept the control without recognizing that it comes with great responsibility as well. This beautiful, amazing earth and all it contains is a gift, a gift from God to us. As parents, we expect our children to appreciate the gifts we give them, to respect them, to use them and not abuse them. Surely we owe God no less than to treat his gift with humble appreciation and with the respect and care which that appreciation requires. I've also been thinking about the fact that our Lord did not give this earth to those of us blessed to, live it, to be living here in this country in this time. Just as much, he gave it to all the rest of the world population and to the generations to come. Just as we recognize our responsibility to be faithful stewards of the talents and financial resources which God entrusts to us, I've come to see that we must see ourselves not as owners of this unique planet, but rather as faithful stewards and protectors of its rich resources and creatures and systems. On December 17th of last year, the New York Times reported that scientists are close to declaring an entirely new interval of geologic time, the Anthropocene, the age of humans, of human-caused climate change, and proliferating plastic, garbage, and concrete across the planet. A hundred years ago, our attitude was, nature's too big for humans to influence. We used to think the oceans were so vast, the Earth's resources so unlimited, the Earth's moisture and carbon cycles so immutable that we couldn't affect them. However, the past century has upended that thinking. It's been a shock, geologist Colin Waters said, a bit like an asteroid hitting the planet. Pollution is reaching unprecedented levels. We now have a Texas-sized swirl of trash in the ocean between California and Hawaii, as I'm sure you've heard. Scientists estimate there are more than 170 trillion plastic particles in the oceans. If gathered, these particles would weigh more than one million cars. Each year, we see more events of extreme and damaging weather as major changes are observed in glaciers and ice caps. The Earth as God created it was so perfect 
The systems were all in balance. The creatures had food. There was clean water. We had, need to have an attitude adjustment. The problems we've created seem so many, it can be overwhelming. However, as has been said, better to light a single candle than to curse the darkness. If more, of us, if more and more of us each light a candle, we can create a very bright light indeed. In fact, there have been many positive and encouraging changes in the last few years as well. Plastic bags banned in this state, widespread recycling, an acceleration of the transition to renewable energy, cleanup efforts like that that um, Todd re uh, described. So my husband and I have resolved to do what we can, when we can. First, to educate ourselves and just become more aware. Second, to modify our own actions. Some of those are very small. Don't take plastic straws at McDonald's. Reuse the plastic silverware we've accumulated. Bring a reusable cup to coffee hour, which, by the way, I forgot today. <laughs> Recycle outdated and dead electronics. Some are more significant. Replace a gas-powered car with a fully electric one. Switch to solar power. Replace some of our lawn with native plants and a rain garden. Third, actively support Earth-friendly policies. We have to accept that making good decisions about how to care for creation is not always simple. Sometimes there will be unintended negative consequences. Some ideas may prove ineffective, but we can pray for guidance from above and then do the best we can with the best information we have. In doing so, I believe we can make a difference and please our Lord, and we can be hopeful that we will leave the earth in a condition that it can, can continue to be the beautiful and blessed home that God created for all his creatures and all his children. Thank you. everybody. I'm Ben Hughes. Today I'm going to talk to you about the planet, but be warned, there will be a little science involved. You may be asking why it's important to keep it safe. Well, without it, we would not be here, so sit back and relax. I hope you like my presentation. One way to keep the planet safe is by protecting the animals, so we could work hard to keep their habitats clean and safe. Also, people have made it illegal to hunt certain animals. In school this year, my whole class studied on an endangered species. We each wrote a book about a different endangered species. <coughs> I read about the Bengal Tigers, not the football team, the actual animal. Didn't you know these cats like the water and they're actually very good swimmers? One way you can help the Bengal Tigers is by donating to the to groups working to save them, such as the World Wildlife Foundation. Last month, I had a lemonade stand to help the taggers, and I'm going to give all of the money to the taggers. Another way to keep the planet safe is to, here comes the science, plant some seeds. 
Seeds are important because seeds grow into plants, and some plants give food, and food is important. One more reason why we should plant plants is to make our planet beautiful. Now, I'm going to talk to you about, to you just about, no, yes, and to you about just plain stuff on how to keep the planet safe. First, we could compost. We could also pick up litter, and we can also plant flowers for the bees. I think we should care for our planet because God wants us to take care of what he worked so hard to make. I hope you like my presentation about the planet. Now, give me a second to read a Bible verse. But ask the beasts and they will teach you, the birds of the heavens and they will tell you, or the bushes of the earth and they will teach you. The fish of the sea will declare you to you, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this. In his hand is the life of every living thing, and the through breath of all mankind. Job 12, verses 7 through 19. Good morning. I'm Rob Brown. <clears throat> I feel pretty tall up here. Um, <laughs> So, Maureen, thank you for moving the stool there, or otherwise <laughs> I probably would have toppled right off here. Um, so, um, my scripture lesson is Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 to 40. Dennis recently preached on these verses. Jesus is speaking in the first verses. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Jesus guides us to serve others who are vulnerable and disadvantaged in this text. As we are charged to care for others, we need to remember that caring for the environment and creation helps us care for the least of these. Whether it is pollution or exposure to increasingly severe weather patterns, vulnerable populations in the U.S. and around the world are most impacted by changes to the environment. We know that exposure to some of the most hazardous air pollution which is the smallest particles of soot, is more than 50% higher for low-income and minority communities in the U.S., according to the academic journal Scientific American. And minority communities are more than nine times as likely to be exposed to hazardous material um, facilities than the average person in the U.S. Heat waves are more frequent 
longer and more intense now than any time in the last 50 years, according to the National Weather Service. And who suffers the most heat-related illness and death? Those who are least able to afford air conditioning. Hurricanes, or tropical cyclones, depending on where you live, have been increasing in severity, both wind and rainfall, and who typically is most impacted in these cases? The economically disadvantaged. After Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, the people most impacted were those who could only afford to live in the lowest-lying areas, which were the most at risk of flooding, per Scientific American and the Brookings Institute. And due to their economic situation, they were also much less likely to own a car or have other resources to flee in advance of the storm. While I have talked about the U.S. examples, vulnerable people around the world are impacted the same way. One of the things I love about our church is our focus already on supporting the vulnerable. Mission efforts to support God's Co-op Pantry, Refugee Assistance Partners, and Home of Somerset County, formerly IHN, for example. In my view, caring for creation has a direct link to Jesus' charge to each of us to care for the least of these. Those with the most resources or advantages are the most able to mitigate environmental impacts to themselves. How do we help those least able to mitigate any environmental impact? By actively caring for creation, we help minimize our negative impacts on the environment which can hurt our neighbors, whether locally or in New Jersey or around the world. While it is not as direct as any mission assistance that you or I or BRPC provides to people, caring for creation is directly responding to the charge to, by Jesus to help the least of these. Good morning. My name is Jean Sorabella. This is the lectionary reading for today from the book of Acts, chapter 14, verses 8 to 18. In Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet and had never walked, for he had been crippled from birth. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul, looking at him intently, and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And the man sprang up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lycaonian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates. He and the crowds 
wanted to offer sacrifice. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are mortals just like you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to follow their own ways, yet he has not left himself without a witness to doing good, giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. When I was seven or eight years old, I learned a hymn we sang in worship every Sunday. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The second line invites all creatures to glorify God, and I took this very seriously. I would imagine the animals joining the song, crickets and hummingbirds, frogs and foxes, orangutans and humpback whales and elephant shrews. I confess, I still listen for them. Now this hymn, the doxology, is over 300 years old, the work of a British bishop named Thomas Ken. There have been calls for an update, and when I was a teenager, my church introduced this. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Christ, all people here below. Praise Holy Spirit evermore. Praise triune God whom we adore. The tune was the same, but the creatures had been left out, as though they were no longer welcome in the choir. I missed the idea of their singing. I complained to my mother. It's routine for us to privilege the human element above all others, to put ourselves foremost as we explain events and take decisions. This is precisely what the people of Lystra do. Lystra was a remote country town in a rugged, hilly part of what is today southern Turkey. Paul and Barnabas travel there, bringing the gospel. They find a man unable to walk, as the Greek text puts it, powerless down to his feet. They command him to rise upright, and he springs to his feet, made whole. We know what's going on. God is working through the apostles, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus through the man they heal. The story is in the Bible, where we expect such things. But the people of Lystra don't know they're in the Bible. They think the human apostles have acted alone. They mistake them for gods and rush to honor them with offerings, oxen for sacrifice, and garlands of flowers. Paul speaks up to set them straight, protesting that he's just a human being. He calls them to receive the living God in Christ, and he reminds them of the ways God has blessed them with rain and plants that feed and seasons that bring plenty and good cheer. He reminds us, too, that all these are gifts from God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. Two models of behavior meet in the dramatic scene at Lystra. The crowd embodies the way of idolatry, treating humans as gods and misusing in the process plants and animals as well as worship. Where they are short-sighted and misguided, Paul is broad-minded and attentive. 
He appreciates the world beyond himself, recognizing both the grace of God in nature and the faith of the powerless man about to be set free. The powerless man is on the right track before Paul even notices him, for he is listening. We assume it's to Paul that he's listening, though the text is not specific. Maybe he is listening not only to Paul, but also to the choir of all creation, the harmony of humanity and nature. It is good for us to give up wasteful habits, to protect wild places, to garden for wildlife. But best of all, perhaps, is to recognize in all created things the creator in whose image we were made. In a sermon, Martin Luther King said, something should remind us that before we can finish eating breakfast in the morning, we are dependent on more than half the world. He means that I don't brew my cup of tea alone. The tea leaves grew in the foothills of the Himalayan mountains. Rain watered them, bees and moths pollinated the trees, and dozens of people leading dozens of faraway lives helped grow and pick and ship those leaves, and every one of them is dear to God. If we widen our focus as bearers of God's image, we can't fail to hear the call to help. We can join in the renewal of creation that God promises in the words of Isaiah 43, I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, so that they might declare my praise. My name's Kitty White, and my creation care passage comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 30 through 32, um, the parable of the mustard seed. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on, the, on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows big and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Taking care of the earth is a little like taking care of a mustard seed, except the world is much bigger than the seed. Like the earth, a mustard seed needs certain things to grow and to be healthy, sun, water, and soil are some of the things that a mustard seed needs to grow well. Like the mustard seed, the earth also needs some things from us to grow well too. Both need protection from harmful things to flourish. The hard part is to figure out what is needed and what might harm them. And this takes time and learning from the successes of the past, looking at the present, and even doing research for the future. This helps us improve our knowledge Learning from those who have experience can help new people learn how it's done. 
In the parable of the mustard seed, a similarity is made between God's kingdom and the growth of a mustard seed. Luckily, God has provided the Bible, which has many passages to help us know how to help the kingdom of God flourish and bloom. If only the world had a similar handbook to help us. But we can pray for wisdom on these things and start with what works. Having open discussions can help us come up with reasonable solutions for present challenges and can also help us improve things in the future. Thank you.